pray for Pastor JB. He's going to pick up grumps this morning. Yeah. Brother Keith's going with Who all went with him? Keith went with him? Keith and JB. Oh, my goodness. Keith and JB and grumps turned loose in Dallas together. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, pray for their safe travel. We got quite a few dummies on the road <clears throat> and other people as well. Uh, <clears throat> but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I just I just traveled back from uh, Ameet Liberty actually yesterday and uh, there's some crazy people on the highway on I-20 they're going to be on I-20 anyway yeah, keep remember them in your prayers we will not have elevate tonight um, for various reasons uh, most of our a lot of our leaders will be out and uh, we have uh, kids traveling to camp they should be there by now you think. Yeah, they should be there. Have they arrived? You don't know. <laughs> um, uh, Jason and Kim are taking a, a load of uh, teens to um, tween camp. We had a van full of boys and a car full of girls, and never the tweens shall meet. But they're on the way to church camp this week. Just pray that they'll have a real good time. They'll be coming back late Wednesday. Uh, we will have our, our classes this Wednesday night. So if you've been in... Um, our Wednesday night Grow You sessions on Summer Grow You. We're having classes on uh, marriage and family. We're having a Bible, in-depth Bible study, and then we're having uh, classes on uh, personal family finances. So uh, be sure to come and take advantage of those for the next three weeks. Also, another thing, um, there'll be a baby shower for Sue Specs this Saturday at 2 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, they're expecting a boy, and they're registered at Walmart, so if you want to pick up something for them, or if you bring diapers, your name's going to be in for a prize or something. I don't know, whatever. It'll be a fun time. We need to bless the Specs family. Uh, they don't have any boys. They have three girls, and so this will be uh, new for them. Uh, so let's come and bless the Specs family this Saturday at 2 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Also, we're uh, in the middle of a uniform drive, the Grace Closet has a uniform giveaway every year before school starts. And so if you've got any gently used school uniforms, you know, that's khaki pants and jumpers and shorts and whatever, and uh, the school shorts, please, there'll be, bring them to the um, foyer, and you can drop them off there. And also there's a box at Sharps. If you wanted to pick up an extra shirt or something, if you go to Sharps to shop, you can drop a uniform off into the box at Sharps. We blessed like 70 families last year with uniforms. And uh, some these these day and age, the state of the economy, anything we can do to help families is a blessing for the community, right? Can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> Barely. All right, I'll, I'll speak up. I'm at a full roar right now. Anyway, I think that's all the announcements. Did I miss anything? Okay, well, since Pastor JB is gone, you stuck with me this morning. So I don't plan to be very long. It means absolutely nothing. But I don't plan to be very long. But we're going to uh, speak for a few minutes this morning on uh, pray for the rain. Pray for the rain. If you want to be turning to Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, and verse 1, we're going to speak of that for a few minutes this morning. So I'll try to be succinct. I'm very sleep deprived. I've been at a crafting 
retreat this past week, and we do a lot of crafting. Well, we do a lot of visiting, a lot of eating, a lot of going here and there, and a little crafting. And uh, so we're kind of sleep deprived, but uh, we pray for us this morning. So before we get started this morning, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Hopefully you'll get something from this this morning. I, I hope. We'll see. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we love you, and we just thank you so much for the privilege to come to your house, to fellowship with fellow believers, and to hear from you. Father, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to take control of this service, flow through this place, touch each and every heart in life. Give us ears to hear, a heart to receive, and a mind to comprehend what you have for us today. Help me to say what you'd have me to say, that and nothing more. Let the preacher come, let the teacher come, and help us this morning to rightly divide your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. I don't plan to be long, so if you'll amen me every now and then, it kind of helps me speed up. Amen. Everybody, thank you. <laughs> Everybody wake up. Uh, I, I'm a student of history. I like to study history. Now, I, I didn't necessarily like to study history when I was in the eighth grade or the ninth grade, but I became a student of history later, and I, 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 I like to learn from history. You know, it's said that if you don't learn from your history, you're, fa- you're doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past, right? I think that's why they maybe don't teach history in school like they used to anymore. They just want us to keep doing dumb things. But anyway, uh, as, as a student of history, uh, you, when, you, when you look to the battle, after the Battle of Waterloo, if you know the Battle of Waterloo, the English were uh, fighting against the French, and so it was the Duke of Wellington had the British forces against the uh, mighty Napoleon, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte there. And so news of the battle's outcome traveled by sailing vessel uh, to the south coast of England and then was signaled by semaphore. Do you know what semaphore? That's where they hoist flags and do letters. They didn't have telegraph. They didn't have telephone. They didn't have cell phones. They did not have CNN in the middle of the battle. Uh, so they had they sent word of the battle from the sailing ship to the south of England. That's called Land's End. Everybody ever shopped at Land's End? That's where it is, Land's End. It, I've, I've been there. It's, you'd think you were in uh, the Gulf of Mexico at Land's End. Anyway, uh, I digress. Stick to your notes, Daphne, so you can be short. Uh, I am short, but, so the message can be short. Uh, anyway, the news of the battle, uh, the outcome of the battle, traveled from sailing sh- uh, by sailing ship across the channel over to uh, the south of England, and then they had towers erected along the different ways, and so they would signal one to another by semaphore so they could see and carry, you know, it was kind of like the precursor to the Pony Express or, or uh, telegraph. And so when the signal got to London, the, the guy on the top of the Tower of London, in there uh, at the, the top of uh, Winchester Cathedral, actually, he started to make the signal, and so he started to spell out the e- eagerly awaited news. And so he, he spelled out, Wellington defeated, and about that time, a dense fog rolled in. And so the people said, oh, no, Wellington has been defeated. And so the news spread through London. Now, if you've never been in a London fog, it's amazing. Anybody ever been in a London fog? You cannot see your hand in front of your face. And it's like the thing is alive and it's breathing and the, the fog is just swirling and it's so dense. You could not actually see your hand in front of your face. That dense is the fog. So people were spreading the news and across London that Wellington was defeated, and they were 
very upset about that, you know. But later, the fog lifted, and the guy, the signalman, could continue his message from the top of of uh, Winchester Cathedral, and he this entire message spelled out: Wellington defeated the enemy. And so they got the correct message. Well, if you've known the Lord, if you serve the Lord for any time at all, well, then you can kind of uh, uh, sympathize or empathize with this message. You might have experienced something like that along your way. When, when you prayed earnestly for something, you prayed earnestly for something important. But, you know, it, it seems like then in your praying, uh, it seems like God had not answered or you seem like the answer is no, or it seems like even worse that the answer it was it was a, a spelled out defeat. And, and sometimes we have a fog that comes over us when we're praying for something, and we don't really understand what God is doing. Anybody ever been there? You know, you pray for something, you don't understand what God's doing. And you say, what in the world are you doing, God? I don't understand. Or why did you say no? Or why did you make the matter get worse? And so you don't understand why God seems to be doing the opposite of what you prayed for. Of course, away from those, sometimes we pray for something and we want to tell God how to do it. You ever done it? We pray for God to do something. And God, this is the way you need to make this happen. Well, that's wrong. But uh, sometimes you wonder if God's promises are really true. But the Bible is really clear on that. And, and, and someday, someday, the fog will lift. And we will see that all God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. And, the, and we see the true answer. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Sometimes we have a limited vantage point. In, in the in, in the grand scheme of things, and, and so it from our limited vantage point, sometimes it may not seem that God's promises are coming true. Sometimes we have a, a we wonder about God's promises, and we wonder if the answer is really coming through. But when we look through the perspective of God's history, we can see that God always fulfills His promises for his people. Amen. God always fulfills his promises. It may not be in our time and it may not be the way we think it ought to be, but God always fulfills his promises. And this should encourage us to pray for the fulfillment of his promises. Are you with me? So uh, in Zechariah 9, chapter 9, uh, the prophet is encouraging the weak and, full, and the weak and fearful remnant of God's people uh, to, with the truth that God always helps those who are helpless, but he helps those who trust in him. Have you found that to be true? God helps those who trust in him. So in chapter 10, he continues with the theme by reminding God's people uh, of, of God's promised blessings for Israel. And, and he starts out the chapter, chapter 10, and he starts out, go ahead and put that verse up. He starts out chapter 10 with verse 1 says, Ask the Lord for the rain in the spring, for he makes the storm clouds, and he will send showers of rain so that every field becomes a lush 
pasture. And God has promised to bless his people. And in that part of the, the world, there are the big rains and the small rains. In the spring, you have big rains. And then in the fall, you have the small rains. And so God always sends, and the people know that that's the way things happen. Uh, and But the prophet is encouraging people to pray for the rain in the spring. Ask for the rain and the time of the spring rain. God intended for this command to be taken both literally and spiritually. What do you mean by that? It means that God wanted his people to pray for the literal rains in the spring so that their crops could come in, they could bloom, the, 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 the things could come up. The plant. Right now we're seeing that happen. Of course, it's summer now, and some of the stuff is being burned up, like, you know, corn. But in the spring, we see that the rain comes for the, the seeds to sprout and the crops to begin to, to grow in the fields. That's literally. But God also intended for his people to pray for the spiritual rain to happen in the spring. Does that make sense? You're with me this morning. Nod your little head. God intends for us to pray for the spiritual rain. God wants us, uh, he wants to pour out his spiritual rain on his thirsty people, right? But he wants us to pray for that. God promised to bring his scattered people back to Israel. They were still scattered at that time that Zechariah was writing. They were scattered all over the world because they had been taken into captivity. But he was promising that he would bring his people back to this land. That has been fulfilled. They had to wait for hundreds and thousands of years to be brought back to Israel. But Israel is now a nation. It happened in 1948, right? Right? In 1948, Israel became a nation again. They had to wait those thousands of years for that to happen, you know. And it was through a, a series of miracles that it, that even happened at that time. Because the prevailing opinion of the world at that time, even our President Truman, was against Israel being recognized as a nation. But he finally sent the word and said, yes, vote yes for Israel to be recognized because he opened his mother's Bible that he had in his desk, and he opened it to the passage that says, I will bless those who bless Israel, and I will curse those who are against them. So he said, we want to be blessed. And so he voted for, And so, but the, at the time of Zechariah, this had not been fulfilled. They had to wait hundreds and thousands of years. And in, if you go on in chapter 10, you see that the prophet was promising them of the Messiah to appear. They had to wait years and years. The people that he was writing to at that time did not see this promise fulfilled. Now, the people, God's people are back in Israel, but they have still not, they're not walking in the knowledge of the Messiah yet. So they're still waiting for the promises to be fulfilled. But God's promises, he has got made abundant promises. If you read through the word, the God made promises to us all throughout the word, the Old Testament, New Thomas, the New Testament. God has promised uh, blessings to his people. And his, but those blessings should motivate us to pray for their fulfillment. Because God has promised the blessings and he's blessed us with promises we should pray for the fulfillment of those blessings and he has God has promised to complete the work 
that he has begun in us. If you look at Philippians 1 and 6, and it says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God has promised to complete the work that he has started in us and in the church as a whole. We have not seen the fulfillment of that promise for Jesus to return, but those promises will be fulfilled when Jesus returns for his church. That should motivate us to continue to pray for God's fulfillment of his promises, right? God has promised abundant blessings to his people. Now, when when the, uh, the prophet Zechariah was writing chapter 10, those promises seemed very far away. And I'm sure that some of the people that he was writing to and speaking to said, this guy has lost his mind. He's out in left field somewhere because there's no way that this is going to happen because the Jews were still scattered all across the Persian Empire. And there was a small remnant that were there and had returned, but they were so threatened by hostile neighbors. They were so weak. And the land was devastated at this time by the Babylonian conquest. But here, Zechariah predicts that Israel will someday trample her enemies and be gathered back to the land. And they're thinking, we're going to trample our enemies. All we have is young, young boys and old men here. There's no way we can trample our enemies. But Zechariah was promising that God's promises would be fulfilled. And so uh, sometimes we may feel that way ourselves. God has made a promise to us. And we say, there ain't no way this is going to happen. I, I can't see this being fulfilled. You ever been there? God's made a promise to you, and, and, and you, you, you say, well, I, I just don't see how that can happen. And we just, we just may wonder about what God uh, has promised us. And some of us are living in the big gap between where we're living and where God wants to bring us. Where we're living in the now and where God has promised his promises to you. Does this make sense? We're living in the now, and there's a big gap between what we're living and what God has promised. I can remember Sister Phillips saying that God has promised to bring her family in. God had promised the salvation of her family. Did she live to see that? No. She still has family that are not serving God. But she had that promise that God gave her that he was going to bring her family to him. Did she see that fulfilled? No, she had a gap between where she was living and where God promised her family to be. But did she doubt God? No. I'm sure maybe sometimes she wonders, said, God, when is this going to happen? But she still stood on that promise that he gave her that he would bring her family in. Now, sometimes I know that we've, we've prayed and God has promised us things. And we wonder, said, how is this going to take place? I don't see any way for this to happen. I've been there. You know, God promised something, and you say, I, I just can't see this happening. How is this going to happen? But we have to stand on those promises and continue to pray that God would fulfill that promise to us. Have you been there? You may be there right now. Uh, you, you may be waiting for God to fulfill that promise. And, and we have to be careful if God puts that promise on delay. 
you know, God has promised us, but he may say, it's not right now, but it's going to happen. And, and there's many times in God's word when he promised people things, but then they were, there was a delay in that promise. And you have to be cautious during that delay that you don't turn away from God and try to solve the problem yourself or turn to false gods. Just think about Abraham. God promised that he would be the father of many nations, Right. But he and Sarah were beyond, way beyond, they were, what, 90 and 100 years old, way beyond their childbearing years. So said, okay, well, God, we got this figured out. We're going to do this ourselves. So she gave Hannah, her handmaiden to him to have a son. But that was not the son of promise. That was the son of man's uh, solution, right? And so that was wrong. They turned away from God because they didn't see how God could fulfill that promise, and they went to their own solution. Same thing happened when uh, the children of Israel were there at Mount Sinai waiting for Moses, who had gone up on the mountain to receive the law. And they were waiting, and they were waiting, and they were waiting. They said, well, he ain't coming back down. God's not going to fulfill this promise. Let's just make our own God. And so that's when they made the, the, the golden calf, and they began to worship the golden calf, and they turned to idols there, waiting for God's fulfillment of his promise. And so we must be cautious when God has promised us something, and we're delayed in seeing the promise fulfilled. We must be cautious that we don't turn to our own solution, but we continue to trust in God and pray for that promise to be fulfilled. Are you understanding me this morning? So, here's the question. Why pray for God to fulfill his promise when he's already promised that it's going to happen? Why should we pray for it to happen? It's going to happen anyway because he promised it. Why do we need to continue to pray for these promises? Well, if God promised that it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But if you don't pray, you might not be blessed. So there's, there's four good reasons for us to pray for God's fulfillment of his promises. Okay, can we look through those real quick? I guess I'm not being quick. I'm looking. Let me look at the clock. We'll go through this real fast. There's four good reasons to pray for God's promises to be fulfilled, even though God has promised it, and we know that it's going to be fulfilled. There's four good reasons that we should pray for their fulfillment. Are you following me this morning, or have I lost? Anybody out in left field? Okay. Four good reasons why we should pray for God's promises to be fulfilled. Number one, we should pray for God's promises to be fulfilled because he commanded us to pray. For his promises to be fulfilled. We read in Zechariah 10 and 1, it says, ask for the rain. God had already promised the rain, but he told us to ask for the rain. He commands us to pray for him to fulfill his promises. God has ordained his uh, eternal purposes through the promises of the people. It's already ordained that, that, that Jesus is going to return. It's already ordained that things are going to happen. It's already promised. But he says that we should pray that that thing should be fulfilled. We're, and he taught us how to pray. He, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. He said we should pray for that. He, he, the, people asked, uh, the people asked Jesus, said, how should we pray? 
And then he taught them how to pray. And one of the first things he says that we should pray that his kingdom would come. His, he had already promised that his kingdom is going to come. He's already promised that that's going to happen. But he t- instructed his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come. And so we're instructed by Jesus. We're instructed by God to pray for his promises to be fulfilled. Anybody understand that? Nod your little head. So we're instructed by God to pray that his promises would be fulfilled. Number two, we should pray for God's promises to acknowledge our dependence on him. We're dependent on God. And a lot of people say, I can take care of myself. No, you can't. You can't even get up in the morning and, and breathe without God allowing you to get up in the morning and breathe. You're not promised your next breath. You're not promised your next step. You're not promised the night to wake up the next morning. Uh, we, we don't pray to inform God of things that he doesn't know. Some people say, well, God, you know. Well, yes, God, you already know. God knows. We're not praying just to inform him of things. God's not ignorant of what's going on. We're, promised, we're, we're not praying so to explain to him. Said, your, Jesus told his disciples, he said, your father knows what you need. Before you ask him. But he went on to tell them how to pray. Yeah, God knows my needs. Why do I need to pray? Because we need to acknowledge that we're dependent on him to supply our needs and to fulfill those promises. Does that make sense? Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, he said, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Have you ever heard somebody that goes on and on and on and on with their prayer? We were talking about that this weekend. about, And I think Pastor J.B. referred to it how Papa would pray. Papa Stroud would pray at Thanksgiving dinner. And he prayed for everybody and everything. And there was sitting there with the turkey smelling and the potatoes getting cold. And the gravy getting gelled up and all that good food. And we're sitting there as kids with our mouth watering. And he was praying for the, the salvation of the nations and praying for and praying for. I can remember one Thanksgiving when Papa was praying for a Thanksgiving prayer. And my cousin Danny was sitting in the high chair. And he was sitting there in the high chair. And he's sitting there in the high chair and praying. And all of a sudden, about halfway through the prayer, he said, Amen. Yeah. I love to go to lunch with James McClellan because he would pray. He would look up and he'd say, God, thanks. And that was it. And that, that expressed what we need. So I made the mistake of telling my granddaughter about that. So now when she prays for lunch, she says, God, thanks. And that's all. You know, but hey, let's get down to business. But now Jesus was instructing his disciples how to pray. He says, do not go on and on and on. And, and you see um, the Gentiles. I mean, he was talking about the pagans. When they pray, they'll chant, and they'll chant, and they'll chant. You've seen it on TV, or you may have seen the, the Harry Krishnas, or Harry, whatever they are. The, the people in those yellow robes and the bald heads, and they'll just they'll chant, 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 thinking that they're You know, read, read the, the uh, account of Elijah on the mountain with all the prophets of Baal and how they would chant, how they would pray, and how they would cut themselves with all the words and everything. And Elijah prayed a simple prayer to the real one living God. We don't have to chant and all that. So Jesus was instructing his disciples on how to pray because they asked him to teach them how to pray. 
He says, don't be like the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. And that's where he, we call it the, the Lord's Prayer. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. In prayer, we confess our total dependence on God. He knows our needs. He's promised to fulfill our needs. But by praying to him for those needs, we're confessing our dependence upon him. Does that make sense? Number three, we should pray for God's promises to remember the Lord alone as the source of all our blessings. God is the source of all our blessings. I said, no, I work for international paper or whatever. I work for, uh, and they, they pay me. No, no, no. God is the source of your blessing. Everything good comes from God. Everything evil comes from Satan. If you remember that and make that your mantra, everything good comes from God and everything evil comes from Satan. If you remember that, it will help you during your, through your day. Everything, your source. I, I used to tell people when I worked for Albemarle, I said, God put a ocean under South Arkansas just so I could have a job and be blessed. There's a salt ocean underneath South, South, Southern Arkansas full of bromine. So I could have a job at Albemarle and be blessed and support my family. And it was a good job. It was a blessing to God. But in his infinite wisdom, way back when he was forming the earth, he put a salt ocean underneath southern Arkansas because he knew I was going to need a job. God, all good blessings come from God. And he is our source of all our blessings. You know, God commanded his people to ask for rain. Now, rain is a natural phenomenon. It's a phenomenon of nature. And scientists can explain to us the process without mentioning God. They can explain how it happens, but they can't figure it out. Why? They can't figure out how to make it rain. You know, they may, you know, say they can to see the clouds and make it rain. But without God's infinite mercy and blessings, it ain't going to rain, you know. Uh, the Bible talks about Elijah prayed for the rain to stop so it didn't rain for seven years and then he prayed and it started raining again. Guess what? God was in control of that. God's in control of the blessing. He's our source. People will attribute all of those things to Mother Nature. You know, and they had commercials, don't fool with Mother Nature. You know, they really should have said, don't mess with God. <laughs> because he's, our, he's the source of our blessing. It's God who sends the rain. If our crops grow, it's because God made them grow. You know, if you sit down to a meal that you bought with money that you earned from your employer, guess what? It's God who provided that meal. It's God who provided that job. It's God who provided those resources that you're hauling. And you, we need to give thanks to him for this food. Give thanks to God for the food, the hands that prepared it. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to your service because God is the one who provided that. All blessings come from God. I need to hurry up. Number four, last one. We should pray for God's promises to realize the fulfillment of his purpose. To realize means to make those promises fulfilled, to see the promises fulfilled. When God asked his people to pray for spring rain, they need, needed literally, he meant for them to literally pray for the spring rains. But they also 
needed to ask him to fulfill the rest of the promises of the chapter to save, to restore, to strengthen his people for his glory. We need to pray first, it says, when, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, the first thing they prayed, they prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done. And this will happen, but it will also happen because we have God's people asking him to send the rain. God's people need to ask for that. Did, did these people that Zechariah commanded uh, the, the, to pray, did, did these people that Zechariah was writing to see the fulfillment of all those promises? No. They did not see, they, did they live to see the fulfillment of the promises? But no. Uh, they need to continue, but they continue to pray for the fulfillment of those promises. And as God's redeemed people, we should pray. Uh, for uh, the fulfillment of his promises for for the return of Jesus Christ. We should pray for that every day because we were commanded, uh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, some people have the theology that the world's going to get better and the Christians are going to take over all politics and things are going to get really good and then Jesus will come back. No, it ain't going to happen. It's going to get worse and worse. Or they say down in South Louisiana, they're going to get more badder. Things are going to get worse. You think they're bad now, they're going to get worse. They're going to continue to get worse until Jesus comes. That's the only peace we're going to have with Jesus. So what should we pray? We should pray for the fulfillment of his promises, right? And, and if you don't realize it, in conclusion, in conclusion, everybody said, okay, thank you. If you don't realize it, the church is in a spiritual warfare battle. Whether you realize it or not, the church is engaged in spiritual warfare. But the problem is, so many people in their church have a peacetime mentality. They have this mindset that they use prayer as a domestic intercom rather than a wartime walkie-talkie. You know, picture this. Jesus is the command, the field commander in this spiritual warfare. Jesus is the field commander, and he's issued every person a walkie-talkie that has direct contact with the general's headquarters. Okay, you got that? Jesus is the field commander. We all have this walkie-talkie that we're in direct contact with the general's headquarters. And we're supposed to, if we're supposed to use this prayer to bring in reinforcements on the battlefield, to pray for the battle to be won. We're supposed to use this, but what millions of Christians have done, they have stopped believing that we're in a war. They stopped believing that we're in a spiritual warfare. There's no urgency. There's no vigilance. There's no uh, strategic planning. Just peacetime, peace, and prosperity. We've been blessed. We're blessed people, and we are. We're blessed people, but we're in spiritual warfare. And we have to keep that mindset. So what did all these Christians do with these walkie-talkies they've been given? They just tried to rig it up as an intercom. And they, you know, talked to Jesus, you know, thank you for this. And, and, and thank you for this blessing. Thank you for this boat you've blessed me with. Thank you for this cabin. And thank you for this money. And thank you for all these things. And so, you know, we don't realize that we're in a spiritual warfare with a mortal enemy. 
and they're not using this walkie-talkie to pray for reinforcements against the enemy, but they're praying to for the maid to bring them another grape soda in the den while they're watching Netflix, you know. We're in spiritual warfare, and prayer is needed to bring in reinforcements and pray against our enemy who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom they may devour, you know. Somebody asked a Christian one time, do you believe that the devil is trying to personally kill you? And said, oh, no, I'm a child of God. Yes, he is. Satan is trying to personally kill each and every one of us, especially if we call the name of Jesus as our Savior. He's out to get us. He's out to destroy us. And that's why we need to realize that we're in a spiritual warfare. God did instruct us to pray for our spiritual needs when you read the Lord's Prayer. He said, we're to pray for our personal needs. Give us today our daily bread, right? We're to pray for our needs. We're to pray for our wants. But he instructs us first to give glory to God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then pray for your needs. So first and foremost, we need to pray for God to send the reign of his spirit to pour out among all those that are not believers, to pour out among those who are believers, to pour out in his kingdom. We need to pray for God to send the rain, send the rain on his kingdom. And it will happen. God will send the rain. But we need to pray for it to happen and happen quickly, be fulfilled. Does this make sense? Well, we need to pray for God's rain. And we want to do that today. I'm not going to have any musician come up or whatever. We're just going to stand and pray. We're going to stand and pray for God to send his rain on his people and send his rain on those unbelievers, send his spirit to bring the unsaved into the kingdom. So let's pray today. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your blessings and your mercy and your grace. And we're praying now that you would.